1: Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions. And this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria.
0: Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the pleasure of having Dennis McEntee with us. Dennis is the author of The Eight Qualities of Drama Free Teams, The Power of Pursuit, and people smart and time mastery. Most of the time, he is devoted to traveling the country, helping leaders take the drama out of their organizations, helping to make those meetings, conversations, projects more effective. Now, let's face it, we can certainly use some of that in education. When at home, you can find him preparing for some type of long distance running event or watching a soccer match. More importantly, he's the husband of Lisa McEntee, the most beautiful woman in America and the father of four children. He's even got a picture to prove it. Check out DennisMcEntee.com. The secret most people don't know about him is that while his passion is helping leaders create high trust, high performance cultures, his childhood dream was to be a jazz trombonist. Another musician among us. How exciting. So now, Lily, where are you at? I'm in New York. Oh, good for you. In the city? Well, very close. I'm about 20, 25 minutes out.
1: Good for you. So, I love to visit. How long ago? Well, this really wasn't a visit. I was in Jersey a couple weeks ago, but we were in the city a couple years ago mm-hmm. with my family, with the kids and stuff. So.
0: So New Jersey doesn't count.
1: Yeah, it doesn't really count, does it? But it was, no. you know,
0: <laughs> but it was... You know, it was like 20 minutes from the city. No, New Jersey doesn't count. You can see New York. That's true. (laughs) Oh, So where are you?
1: I live in Greenville, South Carolina.
0: So welcome, Dennis McEntee. How are you?
1: I'm doing great.
0: We are so happy to have you on our podcast. So as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners?
1: let's do it.
0: Great. So you know, I learned about your work after speaking to Dr. Michael Nichols, who's the CEO of Guidestone Group. I'm sure you you know him. That's
1: very kind of him to do. So yeah. yeah. And
0: also, I was speaking to Brian Paul Buckley. And he's the one who shared with us about the importance of sustaining our energy as leaders. And both these guests were on our podcast. And they raved about you.
1: Wow, that's that's so kind. Now we're going to find out the truth, though, right?
0: I'm excited. I know that you wrote a book um, recently, the eight qualities of a drama free team. And first of all, I want to say I love the title. (laughs) Secondly, I think in school environments, we've definitely experienced this, which certainly gets in the way of learning. So I'm very excited to just tap into this. So can you tell us a bit about what you do and what led you to write this?
1: Yeah, so uh, I've been working with organizations and primary healthcare for years and years. And what I really saw was, you know, to have great outcomes in education, healthcare, really any industry, is that, you know, it's all about behavior. You know, I behave or I take an action and it gives me a result. I just kind of delve into, with a lot of research, what was sort of the blockage from getting great behavior and creating great outcomes. And and what I discovered was it's this drama. And I define drama as choosing to be the victim, choosing to blame other people, and really not taking ownership. You know, people say, what is that? What do you mean? What are you talking about the drama? It's, mm-hmm. it's really the ability to not take ownership and not see all the choices that you have. And so whenever I don't own my behavior, I can never change it. Mm -hmm. So I've been on a mission to uh, help people own their behavior so they can create better outcomes.
0: And what led you to that? Because usually something happens. There's a passion or an event that happens or something you've experienced that leads you to this mission or this passion.
1: Maybe I would say it's, uh, you know, having four kids Mm -hmm. and uh, dealing with a lot of the teenage stuff that we're privileged to go through And it really came out of just my days of parenting. I guess I'm still parenting, but my children are a lot older. But that's really probably where it really came out of is uh, just hours and hours of of pouring our lives into our kids. And back in the day, I was a youth pastor. So I know that was a big part of just, you know, seeing teenagers and working with teenagers for years.
0: And And certainly there's a lot of drama there. There's a little
1: bit. I've really become obsessed with helping people own their behavior
0: that's really important, especially in leadership. So what is it that you're doing now?
1: So we have a consulting firm, and the mission is to take the drama out of organizations. And so I've created the drama free movement, where I'm on a mission to train a million leaders to take the drama out of their organizations. And here's the thing that I've sort of seen is that if we're not careful as leaders, we end up playing the role of hero or rescuer, And the challenge with that is that we end up perpetuating the drama. And I think many times as leaders, you know, not knowing how to lead, like the way to coach your people, because you can really coach your people out of drama. A lot of times people say, well, you know, this it's just how it is. It's just people. Mm -hmm. Well, the reality is, is it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to settle. And I get frustrated many times when I see leaders, they kind of settle for mediocrity, they sort of settle for the drama, they sort of settle for the excuse making. And they say, well, that's just, you know, that's just how it is, or things will never change around here. And that just kind of fires me up a little bit. So uh, I created the drama free movement.
0: You know, the work that you're doing, it's extremely important, especially when I look at education and the leaders that are listening, we've experienced a lot of drama. All around us, really, with teachers, administrators. So we get what that looks like, and we get how that can impede growth and how that can affect our children. So the work that you're doing is really important. So I want to talk about how your work can really help the leaders in education. So can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Just to be really honest with you, Lily, when I graduated college, and even when I graduated high school, I was part of the third of the class that meant the upper two thirds possible. Mm-hmm. So I'm really honored. I, I feel like I'm speaking to a lot of smart people here today. So maybe with some of the gold nuggets it, that I can give educators and, and kind of help them with is uh, a couple things is that, you know, to work with the golden rule, you, there's a lot of different golden rules, but the golden rule that I sort of espouse is that there's gold inside of everybody. Mm. And, you know, and what's interesting, Lily, is that, you know, when miners go into mine for gold, they're not looking for dirt. They're looking for gold. And they realize that they might have to remove a ton of dirt just to find a little bit of gold, but they're focused on the gold. Mm -hmm. And so my first encouragement is that with every person that you come in contact with, with every student, you know, there's gold inside of every one of them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to really focus on the gold because people tend to become who we believe them to be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know in my own life, my own life was changed. I can take it back to three or four educators that just really believed in me. And really like believed in me before I ever believed in myself. They saw the gold. They just didn't see it, but they spoke to it. And I think whatever you speak to inside of people eventually comes out.
0: You're absolutely on point. When you speak about that, to me, is valuing those around you. And seeing them as gold, that's wonderful.
1: There's gold inside of everybody. And the truth is, is that, you know, with some people, you might have to remove a ton of dirt just to find a little bit of gold. (laughs) And other people, it's like it's all gold, just a little bit of dust. Mm -hmm. But there's gold there. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you walk into any relationship, any classroom, any situations, and just ask yourself, you know, like, so where's the gold? What's the gold that I see? And start to speak to that gold. Because I think the thing that really generates some great performance is, first of all, for people to believe in us before we even believe in ourselves. Mm
0: -hmm. So how would you describe your leadership style, Dennis?
1: My leadership style is drama free.
0: Okay. (laughs) No,
1: (laughs) we just walked right into that one. Yeah, we? we did. Yeah. I think you sort of have two different choices with leaders is that you can become, you know, the command and demand you know, salute and stay mute type leader, Mm -hmm. where you're large and in charge, and you do a lot of telling. Or you can be a drama free leader where you can do a lot more asking. Because, you know, when working with people, I I teach the SOS method of feedback, and of problem solving. And here's how it kind of works is that the first S is you have to see it. And I think that's the first rule of giving feedback is to help people see it. Because one of the worst things you can do with people is to tell them about themselves. Mm -hmm. It's like you have to help them self-discover. Because when I self-discover, then I own it. But if you tell me, it's like, Lily, if you tell me, Dennis, go do this and this. I go, okay, I'll go do this and this. And then I go do it and it doesn't work. Well, what's one of the first things I come back and tell you? I say, well, Lily, you know, you told me to do this and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And it's like I've just placed all of the blame back on you. And so just helping people first with feedback, just see it. And then oh, SOS, then they have to own it because I'll never change what I don't own. If I don't take responsibility for something, I'll never, ever do it. Mm-hmm. And so I only do what I take responsibility for. And then you solve it. But I think a lot of times leaders go right to the solve. it. It's like, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to solve it. And the truth of it is, is that you can't control anybody's behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, the only person you can control is yourself. And so helping people first see their behavior, then help them own it and then you can co create a solution. And so I'm kind of a co creator leader, I help people co create their own solutions. And it's a lot of fun.
0: So let's back up a little bit, because I'm kind of stuck at the see it. And I get what you're saying. I absolutely get how vital it is. So walk me through. I'm a leader. I'm a very authoritative leader. How would you help me see myself?
1: perfect so instead of just tell you because you know lily if i tell you if i say lily you're just too autocratic you're just too direct
0: what
1: well right exactly (laughs) your first response is going to be defensive your first response is gonna be well let me tell you about you McIntyre. you're this and this right it's like you're gonna want to defend and here's the deal once you go to that defensive posture you can't help people Because the first thing that our brains are doing when we walk into any relationship, any classroom, any situation, whether it's a job, a boss, anywhere, the first question our brains ask is safe or unsafe, safe or unsafe, safe or unsafe. Mm -hmm. And if I deem it to be unsafe, I'm going to defend. You know, I'm going to put up my guard and I'm not going to be able to co-create with you. Mm -hmm. But if it's safe then I'm gonna be open to explore. So, instead of telling people about themselves, which typically never works, you tell me about my behavior and unless that I, Unless I trust you. Unless I have right. a high degree of trust. right? So the best thing you can do is you can help me see it. So here's a great phrase that we teach leaders to use is, hey Lily, when you're really direct with the whole team, how do you think you show up to us? Because if I can get you to see it, solving it becomes pretty easy. Actually solving it becomes very simple. The hard part is the see it and the own it part.
0: Right. So you here know? I am. So you're asking me those questions and I still don't see it. Because that, okay. and, and I'm pushing back because that happens often.
1: Sure. Absolutely. So then I tell you about me. Hmm. I don't tell you about you. I tell you about me, Lily. And here's how I would do it is I would use a very similar phraseology. It's when action happens. It's like, Lily, when you're really direct and autocratic with the team, I feel – frustrated or angry or however i feel i feel frustrated because i think you're really being mean Mm -hmm. can you help me with that now watch this Lily. i didn't say you were mean Mm -hmm. i didn't call you mean i didn't make a value judgment i'm just like let me tell you about me when this happens i feel this because i think this can you help me
0: Mm -hmm. Now I have to think about that as a leader. I have to think about how to really process that.
1: Yeah. And what you've done is you've just painted behavior with no value judgment. And then you've just told them about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that phrase, you know, can you help me? I love that phrase mm-hmm. because literally everybody wants to help. Right. And, and sometimes you can say some of the meanest stuff. It's like, can you help? It's like, hey, you're really being ugly today. Can can you help me? I don't understand. <laughs> I didn't say you. I didn't That's say you were That's pretty clever,
0: you know. because i
1: want to be mad at you but then i want to help you right yeah exactly (laughs) exactly those are pattern interrupts another great pattern interrupt that i teach leaders to use is just simply the phrase interesting Hmm. you know somebody says something crazy or somebody does something You go, boy that's interesting and it's a quick pattern interrupt because when i say "Hmm, that's interesting your brain probably goes well what's interesting what are you talking about what's Right. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a pattern interrupt because I like to tell people a lot of times like when you're in drama or when you're in the emotion, it's just like you're on drugs. You know, all of that emotion is back in the brainstem and you're trying to snap people back from the brainstem to frontal cortex, right to their forehead where it's logic. Mm -hmm. But when you're back in the brainstem, when you're in the emotion, it's almost like you're on drugs. So when people are in the emotion, you don't first try to solve the problem. My first job, if you're in the emotion, is to get you out of the emotion. And I can't do it by telling you, I've gotta use pattern interrupts to wake you back up to logic. And then once you get to logic, then we can solve problems. But I think the mistake many leaders go to is that they just try to solve the problem and you can't solve an emotional problem with logic. I do a lot of change management with organizations and I'm sure you've seen this, is that there's these changes that have to happen. So you sit down with your team and you have a list of logical reasons why we're gonna change. And you go, okay Dennis, here, you got to change this, 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 and this is why. Let me tell you, logically, and you lay it all out to me, and then I walk out of your office and I go, well, I still ain't going to change. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah that, yeah, that might be true, but I don't want to, mm-hmm. because change is completely emotional. And so you have to work within the emotions of change, the emotions of leadership, and it's not a logical game. I mean, leadership is all about people. Mm-hmm. You know, leadership is getting results through people, and people are messy. Mm-hmm. People are not logical. It's a dirty game, but somebody's got to do it. And I'm glad your listeners are doing it. I'm glad we're doing it.
0: Yeah, and that's the point. That's why we do this. It's about changing our behavior, increasing our emotional intelligence, right?
1: Yeah, because you think about it, it's like it's not an information problem. I think we're starved for wisdom in a sea of information. You know, I can get on the Internet. I can find anything, which is why like a lot of our training is incredibly interactive, because what causes change is when we touch the emotion emotion produces motion i mean you just take the e off of emotion and you have the word motion you just think about your own life whenever you've made massive changes in your life wasn't it you got angry about something it's mm-hmm. like i'm going through this process where i mean i've lost about 70 pounds and i've got about another 15 to go
0: congratulations and, by the hey, way
1: yeah thanks but it only happened until like i just got really mad mm-hmm. i was like dennis that's it i just got aware. You know, I looked at myself in the mirror one day and I was like, that's it, I'm mad. And I looked at myself and I said, Dennis, you're not chubby, you're not a little overweight, or I always used to say this, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, you know, I compare myself. And then I just looked in the mirror and I was like, Dennis, you're fat. You're mm-hmm. fat as Texas. What happened? And so I got aware, but that's all emotional. Then I took responsibility. I owned it, you know, because I was used to blame my weight on my wife. She's a great cook and I love to eat. And so she would cook and <laughs> I would it. eat. And yeah, it's like, man, we got this great How dare relationship. She? that's exactly right. It wasn't until I realized I never ate a donut accidentally. You know, I saw the donut, coveted the donut, ate a whole box of Krispy Kremes. Right. <laughs> I just started to own my behavior in that area, and then just started to work my plan after I owned it, and here we go. That whole journey is a complete emotional journey, and if we're not honest, most of the journeys that we take have a lot of emotion tied to it, and if we don't address those things as leaders, we're going to fail.
0: So if one of our listeners wants to connect with you, what kind of services do you do?
1: So we do a lot of organizational development. So we work with organizations in a process to help them create high trust, high performance teams and cultures. And one of my favorite things I love to do is I do a lot of keynoting and workshops, teaching coaching skills. And so if you have an association or a group that brings in keynote speakers, I would love nothing else to do that. And if people would go to www.coachingskillschecklist.com, I will give you my top 25 coaching skills. It's a checklist that you can go through about how to take the drama out of your team.
0: Oh, wonderful.
1: Yeah. So they can just have that as a resource. Go to that website and you just click on it and it's yours for free.
0: Oh, great. Thank you so much. I'm going to write that down, make sure that's in our notes. So tell us, Dennis, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? Oh, my gosh,
1: that's a great question. And I don't think I was totally prepared for it other than my quotes.
0: (laughs) Other than your quotes, you have to send me your quotes.
1: Yeah, I don't know who said it. But my favorite one is we teach what we know, but we produce who we are and i should have been able to tell you who said that but that probably is my all-time favorite quote because i think what you do flows out of who you are and so if you don't first work on yourself because if you can't lead yourself you can't lead other people and so we teach what we know but we're always producing who we are which is really great news because i can look around and it's like if i don't like what i see in my team or my relationships or my family I don't look outside of myself. I go, okay, what's in me that's actually producing these results and start to work on me. It really helps me with my own personal locus of control Mm -hmm. and uh, helps me stay out of the blame game where I'm not blaming other people for my problems. So we teach what we know, but we produce who we are. And um, but I'm not sure who said it.
0: Okay, well, we'll find out. I'm not sure if we'll find out before this is on the air, but we'll find out. Somebody will. (laughs) Somebody will. Somebody will. Somebody out there. Help
1: us. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And they will tell us who said it. And uh, that's what I love about the Internet. Tell
0: us about ourselves. Right. Exactly. Um, And, you know, what you just said speaks to how. The toughest person, the hardest person to lead is ourselves. And if we lead ourselves well, then we have the capacity or the honor of leading others well.
1: Yeah, because I think like nothing makes a better impression on people than the ability to lead yourself. You know, the classic quote is from my friend John Maxwell. You know, he says, leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. And here's what's interesting. I go into organizations a lot of times and one of my first jobs that I give myself is I want to find out who the real leader is. And sometimes, literally, the real leader is not the person with the title. Mm. It's somebody in the middle of the organization that when they speak or she speaks, everybody listens to and everybody follows. And so I think there's a lot to be said for increasing relational capacity. Just because you're high in the organization chart does not necessarily mean you're the leader.
0: Great words of wisdom. Thank you for that. So Dennis, you're kind of speaking to this, but what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I would say
1: the relational leader because I don't necessarily want to follow the person that knows because I can go find stuff in a book, but I want to follow that person that uh, has my best interests at heart and that really cares for me and that is authentic and real. And I think in our age of hyper marketing and all the crazy stuff on social media, it's like, I just want you to be real and I want you to tell me your problems too, or where you've struggled because many times I can learn from your struggles too. So it's the person that really cares and we keep quoting John But you know, he says that people don't care how much, you know until they know how much you care That's right. So it's the relational leader. What about you, Lily? What kind of re- leader do you follow?
0: Someone who leads themselves. Well, it speaks to me, too You know, I think of John Maxwell. I mean, I became a John Maxwell team member because I see how effective he is and he walks the talk I've met him, I've seen him in action, and I have a very clinical eye for that. I've studied leadership, and I love leadership. It's an incredible responsibility. When I see Maxwell, he's walking the talk. Before a presentation, he walks through and talks to the audience, and he wants to know the needs so that he can address the needs. He's not concerned about how he looks in front of people. He wants to serve people. One of the biggest things to me is that great leaders value those around them
1: and when we think about leadership is really service mm-hmm. and it's really serving our teams and serving the people that we have the privilege to influence and i think it kind of takes that hierarchy and kind of turns it on its head a little bit mm-hmm. where leaders in the c suite are serving middle management and middle management serves the frontline staff and the frontline staff are the ones that are serving customers and that's right. people that's right and many times in organizations you know the top leaders aren't even touching the end users or customers or students.
0: This is why I'm so passionate about what we're doing here, because it should be, especially in schools where the top level leaders are extremely approachable
1: for whatever reason, because the pressures are different things, you know, it's like I never want to be the paper pushing person. I want to be out there touching people and you're really affecting change in people's lives. Right.
0: So but thank you for that question. I've never been interviewed on my podcast before.
1: (laughs) Well, we answered it great. Yeah, you answered it great. You're doing great.
0: (laughs) So thanks, Dennis. Tell us. (laughs) And this is a John Maxwell question. What's the best advice you've ever received? Gosh,
1: I should have been more prepared, probably. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it goes back to the same things we're talking about, is really just continue to work on myself, continue to develop myself. Mm. I'm an information junkie. You know, Lily, I coach a lot of leaders, and I also get coached. I've got to coach myself that I hire and I pay.
0: Dennis, I have to tell you I love that. I love that because you know, to hire a coach who doesn't have a coach says a lot. It says a lot about the fact that I don't know anything about coaching, but it also speaks to how your coach values coaching. So I love that you value coaching so much that you have a coach.
1: I think a lot of times, I mean, especially as leaders, it's like, we need to take the medicine that we're dishing out. Mm -hmm. We really do. And if it's true, I teach what I know, but I produce who I I am. It's like, wow, if I can become a bigger person, I'm going to do bigger things. So I'm always on this quest. I'm not on a quest of how to do bigger things. I'm on a quest of how I can be a bigger person. Because I know if I can be a big person, I'm going to do great things. And so I think that's probably the big advice that I got back when I was 18, 19 years old from actually an educator in college. To just really focus on be the person, not just doing the stuff.
0: That's great advice. Now, I think we know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What does it mean to have a good team and how do you build one?
1: How much time do we have? We
0: have have some time. (laughs) Come on, bring it.
1: it, (laughs) So I think a great team has really two different core components. The first is a high level of trust Mm -hmm. because trust affects our speed and our cost. You know, when it's high trust, we have a high degree of speed of execution of getting things done. And it typically costs us not as much money, even to the fact of like, why with different people, we go through all these contracts negotiation because in some ways a lack of trust Mm -hmm. or, you know, when we have high trust and I don't read meanings into things that aren't there. You know, okay, what does she really mean by that? And then I have the meeting after the meeting. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever been in that, Lily, where it's like we, we have the meeting and then we get together to discuss about the meeting because I don't know that person's intentions or what do they mean by that. And those are all symptoms of low trust. And then out of that breeds a sense of high execution and really high performance. It all boils down to that foundation of trust. So the components of a great team is a team that can trust each other. And we teach a skill called AGW, which at its core means assume goodwill. And so we teach people, you know, how do you assume goodwill? How do you develop a high level of trust? Everything from increasing your capability, increasing your character, which are sort of the two legs of trust, It's not just a character issue, it's also a capability issue, and it's not just a capability issue, it's also a character issue. And so you work to develop these high levels of trust, and then when we have enough trust, we're able to have conflict, which is really kind of probably the second component of great teams is that they know how to do conflict without having any residual bad feelings Mm -hmm. you know lily where you and i can sit together in a room and we can really hash out an idea and it could even get a little heated and we could both be very excited but at the end of the meeting we come to this consensus where we both create Mm buy-in which is kind of like that third component there's a high level of buy-in with ideas where there's not the finger pointing and there's not the blaming but we're able to communicate through differences. And then we have a high level of accountability where we're all accountable to the goals, where it's not just the leader driving accountability. And here's what's interesting about that word accountability. I hear sometimes early people say, well, I'm gonna hold them accountable. Well, how the heck do you do that really? I mean, how do you do that without becoming micromanaging? Very challenging. And so we teach people that accountability is really a gift that followers give leaders. It's not something that's commanded down from leadership, but it's a gift that followers give leaders. And you think about that word accountability. It's that you're able to give an account. Mm. You're able to give an account. So accounting comes from the bottom up. It doesn't come top down because when it comes top down, it's nothing more than micromanaging. It's like, okay, Lily, did you do that? Okay, did this get done? And with these leaders, as soon as you have to ask that question, it should be a clue to me to realize, okay, I have not been accountable. If you have to come to me and ask me where we are on deadlines, then I probably don't have a high enough degree of accountability back towards you. Mm. And so it's this ability to give an account where at the end of the day, then when you do these things, when you have this high level of trust, when you can do conflict without any residual feelings, and then we have consensus, not necessarily agreement, but we have buy-in and consensus about where we're going and our goals and what you're going to do and I'm going to do, and we have a high level of accountability, then we can have adult-to-adult conversations. Because I think in a lot of organizations, they end up having these adult-to-child conversations where it's like I'm telling you instead of us coming to agreement, not that we have to have total consensus and we both believe it's the right thing, but we have agreement as to this is what I'm going to do and this is what you're going to do. And really, at the end of the day, you know, we talk about managing people. It's just funny because I've never met literally anybody that's ever wanted to be managed. Have you?
0: <laughs> no. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> Not a one. Yeah,
1: yeah, nobody. <laughs> I, now, now, everybody wants to be led, but Right. nobody wants to be managed. And so what keeps you out of that is that you manage the agreement. You don't manage the person, but you learn to manage agreements that we make between each other.
0: You know, I love how you make something that can become so complicated. Like if you think about a team that doesn't trust each other, turning it around can seem like this huge ship that you've got to really put so much effort into turning. But what you've described, they're practicals that your organization or your coaching helps to put in place. And it seems so doable.
1: Well, you know, the great thing is, is that it really is. And and here's what happens. You can't read the label when you're inside the bottle. Mm-hmm. And for many leaders, it's like we get in the bottle of our classrooms or our schools or our universities or our business or wherever we are, and we're in the bottle. And a lot of times we need somebody that they don't have an emotional attachment to the outcome that can really help us get clarity. You right. know, because I think when you're emotionally attached to the outcome, your focus always gets fuzzy. That clarity becomes a little bit cloudy and so it's always great to have somebody in your corner that has no emotional attachment to the outcome that can really see things clearly for you because I learned this from a leader and it's so true, he told me this about five or six years ago. He said, Dennis, he says, my big challenge, it's to fight for clarity. He says, you know, we have such a big organization and so many people working with us that things just get so cloudy and it happens all the time and I just have to continue to fight for my own clarity and then communicating clearly to other people and it really is true yes yeah.
0: yeah thank you so much dennis so tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life you didn't read that question either
1: honestly Lily didn't read any of your questions oh. to be totally authentic i was just making a decision and i hope you don't edit any of this just to let it roll this has been fun oh. my encouragement would be i wouldn't edit any of this this has been great and hopefully your listeners think the same See, i was that's just a challenge on- for me I got it. I got it. But, you know, people need to know we're authentic here, okay, too. Okay, okay. I'm um, going to try. Yeah, so I was just trying to decide if I tell the story. There's about four stories that rolled around in my head, and the first story is so personal, I wasn't sure I even wanted to share it, but I'm going to share it.
0: Go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll just we'll lay it all out there and, do you it. know. Yeah, we'll do it. When I was 16 years old, my dad went to prison. hmm and so, you know, I was raised on food stamps and government cheese and it's really kind of what integrated this poverty mentality and a blaming and excuse making type of lifestyle that I developed where other people owed me things and mm-hmm. I didn't take responsibility for my life and it really spiraled my life for years mm-hmm. and and maybe that really kind of is the catalyst for the drama free teams and I'm coming out with a new book, The Drama Free Leader. I tell people I'm the drama free guy, but it's probably because I was the biggest drama king for years and I had to work this out of me. Mm -hmm. Many times people teach what they need help with themselves. I don't know if you've experienced that, but we see that a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I was the biggest excuse maker. I was the biggest blamer. And just me coming to a point of owning my life and sort of seeing the destruction that it caused, you know, in the first part of my life. Just living in drama and that's probably maybe like the catalyst that's really kind of brought me to this place is that I know what it's like to live in that fog of drama and I know the steps to help people come out of it because I've come out of it myself and here's the thing I know if I've come out of it you can come out of it too you absolutely can.
0: Dennis I really appreciate your authenticity sharing this story having gone through it you know how it affects you but you also know the damage it can do to other people right? Absolutely. I actually came up with a quote. You want to hear it?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Being a victim is common. Choosing to stay a victim victimizes others.
1: Wow. You need to tweet that or something. Holy cow. That's great.
0: I just put it on Facebook. (laughs)
1: Wow, that's awesome! That's awesome. So if I put that in one of my workbooks, I'm actually going to give you the credit. Okay. Okay. Yay!
0: (laughs) That's really good. But it's it's so true. You know, you've been on the receiving end of it. You've been on the giving end of it. We all know it's true, and so we want to kind of pull back, really look at our lives, really look at who we are, our way of being, and really add value to other people. So thank you so much for sharing your life. That's awesome.
1: It's been an honor to be with you today.
0: Yes, I have more questions.
1: Well, let's ask him. Come on. Okay, so
0: tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped you and the lives of those around you.
1: My greatest success is actually raising four responsible adult children. My youngest is 15, so he's not quite an adult yet, Mm. but three of them are adults, and that's gotta probably be my crown jewel. And the second one is probably that I'm still married to my my only wife that I've ever had. We just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And so those are my two biggest successes because I've always wanted the people that know me the best still love and respect me. And I think that's probably real success for me because my family, they really know me. You'll find this funny. I was doing this keynote. I think it was in Austin, Texas, a couple of years ago. And I had my oldest son traveling with me. And what's neat about keynotes a lot of times is you know hundreds and hundreds of people there. And typically after an event, like everybody wants to talk to you, which is it just it's a blast. But that day after the keynote, literally nobody wanted to talk to me. My oldest son was back at the product table um, selling books and products, and there was a crowd around Andrew. And I thought, what's going on? And then I figured out everybody wanted to figure out if this McInty guy was really for real. And the best way to know that was to come find my son and kind of grill him and ask him and find out from him because they're probably the best reflection of my leadership because they've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. They see what happens between closed doors and mm. they know everything and they still love and respect me. So that's my huge leadership success. My kids.
0: Dad's a cool dad.
1: I don't know if I'm cool sometimes because sometimes, you know, when we're talking, they go, oh, dad, you know, you know and I think sometimes like I try to bring some of the coaching techniques into my parenting and my kids can always call me out on it. They're like, dad, stop psychoanalyzing me.
0: Stop the drama dad yeah exactly exactly
1: you know and then i just got to tell him i says listen you don't understand this but in some places i'm a really big deal i know i'm not a big deal here but there are places i go i'm a really big deal that's
0: right (laughs) so we need to tug our kids around so they can keep us where we need to be keep our heads small
1: yeah exactly
0: so dennis what would you tell a new leader who is discouraged about their working climate or culture
1: I would tell you not to give up and i see this a lot of times especially like in middle management or you've just maybe been promoted to some kind of supervisory position where you didn't hire this team the first thing i would just tell you is not to give up Mm -hmm. and to remember to change any kind of culture any kind of team environment it typically takes 18 months to two years and so typically within the first 18 months to two years i tell people all the time like listen you're trying to fix somebody else's problems So just realize you're trying to fix another leader's problems. But the reality is, is about after 18 months or two years, they are now your problems. Mm -hmm. You have just created all of these problems. So the first thing really is just to realize that, okay, I'm not going to give up, you know, even though maybe I've inherited a team or I've just risen up to be some kind of supervisors. And then I would just encourage them that whatever you don't address you endorse a lot of leaders end up playing the ostrich you know we kind of stick our head in the sand if we pretend it's not there it's not really there and so i would just encourage them to start addressing everything
0: i love that whatever you don't address you endorse love
1: that. yeah and, and even what's more important than addressing behavior in the beginning is to address belief and don't let belief go by without addressing it you know people say well things will just never change around here and then you don't address it and you don't comment and you don't try to contradict it or try to give them another belief. That's okay. pretty
0: common, that happens a lot.
1: Yeah, because here's the thing, all behavior is formed out of belief. And every belief is created by an experience. And so if you wanna break it way down you know, to how do we change behavior with people, we gotta help change their beliefs, and the only way for me to change their belief is for me to change the experience that they're going to get. And inside of that you have things like belief bias, where you know they have certain things they believe about a leader, or about my boss that that's my boss's job is to fix my problems and tell me what to do or you know whatever crazy belief you have or you have selective belief and so you're sort of fighting those two animals and maybe really the best way I can describe it you know is that if I tell my wife I love you I love you I love you but I never spend any time with her mm-hmm. I only do what I want to do I never help around the house I never help with the kids we never watch what she wants to watch on television but I tell her I love you I love you I love you what do you think she really believes she really believes yeah i really probably don't care about her even though i tell her i tell her i tell her but it's because i've given her these set of experiences that have formed a belief
0: that speaks to being intentional because to kind of shift someone's belief you've got to really value them and care for them and want to have them experience something better
1: and i think you even have to sit down and go okay what experiences could i manufacture in my leadership to create the beliefs that i want in my people And then just get after like creating a bunch of experiences. I mean two great brands that do that that people probably know about would be like Chick-fil-A is one and Disney is another one. They're masters at creating experiences that sort of form a belief inside of their customers. As leaders, I mean, we're serving our team. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, they're our customers. Mm -hmm. And so we're serving our team. So how do we create experiences that we can manufacture, that we can do ourselves that'll generate beliefs inside of them? And, you know, I wish somebody would have told me this when I first started that leadership is really like an inside game and leadership is really kind of more about changing people's beliefs because I don't know if I would have done it. You know, if they would have told me in the beginning, I would have said, oh, I don't think I want this leadership deal. But it really is true. It's an inside game. It's an internal game. But it's totally worth playing.
0: Thank you so much. That just makes sense. It makes total sense to me. And me, that's all that matters. You, it <laughs> See, really. Now, me, now I really yeah, especially, have to yeah. edit
1: this. You know, you don't have to edit this at all. <laughs> all
0: uh, right, this, my friend. OK, I have a couple of more questions. So many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now?
1: So I'm working on two different things right now. I'm always working on something that has to do with a skill. And then I'm always working on something that has to do with a mindset. For me, I've already registered for another speaking class. It's been a couple of years since I've uh, really worked on the craft and the skill of speaking. And then I'm working on my mindset. And so I've got a couple of things with my coach that I'm working through on mindset. And I'm going to go to UPW this year. But, What's uh,
0: UPW?
1: Tony Robbins is uh, Unleash the Power Within. I've actually oh, never... I should know that. I've never been. But I'm gonna go ahead and go this year. So I'm always getting coaching. I'm always getting training It's always a mindset and a skill set piece I'm probably like every leader that's listening to this right now got a stack of books that I'm working through
0: So tell us what have you read recently that our listeners should read and why?
1: Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey is just a classic that I go back to and Napoleon Hill think and grow rich and I have sort of just decided that I'm gonna pick 10 or 12 books that are sort of the staples Mm -hmm. And go back through them again this year because many times it's like we're looking for new information My problem is not knowing my problem is really doing and let me just encourage everybody I'm a part of a mastermind group. That's been revolutionary for my life and really my mindset and we meet together once a quarter It's just been an amazing experience for me somewhere across the country. We get together. They help hold me accountable and uh, we work on our Organizations together
0: so tell me a little bit. I want to kind of pick at that because I think we're just learning, especially in education, to really embrace or, or really even know what a mastermind group is and why is so, it so valuable?
1: It's a place where you can be authentic, where you can be real and you can get help with your specific problem. A lot of my workshops are quarterly masterminds that I do for different organizations. And what I've realized is that instead of coming and just getting a bunch of information thrown up on you, some of the best meetings I've ever been to is here's a problem that I'm having within my classroom or my institution, my organization. Can you help me with this problem right here? And then having people walk me through a problem-solving process where I actually come up with actionable steps. And so I can authentically share my struggles and my issues, and people can help me figure out answers, Mm -hmm. and they can also hold me accountable. Because I know what to do. My problem many times is that I just don't do it. But if I've got to report back every quarter back to my group, it's like, okay, this is the progress I made. You know, Lily, I never want to have a wrong answer. You know, and there's a lot of different names for them. People call them masterminds, or accountability groups, or cohort groups, or roundtables. I think at the core, the ones that work the best are where you can be authentic and where they can help hold you accountable.
0: Okay, great, thank you. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities that you have?
1: So I actually run two lists, and this is probably going to hair up all the time management gurus. I have a parking lot that I continually dump my thoughts, what I need to do, all of my projects, anything that comes into my mind, I just keep it on a gigantic parking list. And then uh, I stole from Eric K. Ash the uh, principle of just writing six things down every day that I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And I actually just work off of an index card every day. I know it's not very technology savvy. I kind of roll around the question, what makes today a very successful day? And so I just start from that frame. And you know, Lily, some days it's like, I'm just gonna spend time with my wife and spend time with my kids. Mm-hmm. And that's a very productive day. I allow that question to kind of just drive my thinking, you know, what makes today a great success. Because think about it, we talk about having a successful life, right? Whatever that means to you, but the successful life is made up of a lot of successful years. And what does a successful year, what is it made of? A lot of successful days. Right. So if I can figure out what made successful day for me, and then just duplicate it over and over and over again, at the end of my life, I'll be a success.
0: So what time do you usually get up to do this?
1: I'm usually up by 5.30. I don't even set an alarm. I've just kind of conditioned myself to be up by 5.30, which is a blessing and a curse because I can go to bed at 2 a.m. That's and so guess good. what time I wake <laughs> and I get up at 5.30. But you so, know you
0: need that sleep, though. But
1: Especially if you, you talk to a guy like uh, Mr. Brian Buckley, who's uh, the sleep expert. He always hammers me on that, so...
0: You know, a lot of educational leaders put in such long hours. Any advice on how to maintain balance?
1: Balance, like with your home and personal? Yes. I used to teach this course called Balance Your Life back in the day, about 10 years ago. And I've kind of come to the point where I'm not sure I believe it anymore. And let me kind of explain what I mean. I think life is a rhythm and it's kind of like waves rushing in on the shore and then going back. There are certain times in your life, you know, for me, where I am just really focused on work projects, but there are other times when I'm really focused on home. And so I think the key thing for balance is be where you are. So if I'm working, I'm really, really focused on working, but then when I'm home, the computer gets shut off and I'm totally 100% present. I think, kind of a fallacy sometimes with leaders, is we end up doing a little bit of work every day and it's like we're working 24 7. I've sort of learned the power of Sabbath, which has really probably been like the biggest balance. The principle of Sabbath for me is that it's called a technology free day, where basically if it gets plugged in, it doesn't get turned on, except if it's the refrigerator, because I have teenage kids still. So. <laughs> um, but what that means is that my cell phone gets turned off for a 24-hour period, and my email gets turned off. Because literally what can happen is even on a day off, if I get an email and I go, okay, I need to work on that tomorrow, or I need to get to that later on next week, all of a sudden, I've just gone to work yeah, in my brain. It's, right. it's in the
0: back of your mind, and you can get worried. You can yeah, get concerned, it, and that ties up everything else
1: here's what's amazing do you realize like one of your most productive days of the year is like the day before vacation it <laughs> yes. is yeah because it's like and I've get... too. yeah and it's like i gotta get all this stuff done before i leave because nobody can reach me for a week so watch this if you practice a sabbath every week i get one day a week where i work like i'm going on vacation because that means that the day before i take that day off where it's completely technology free i Everybody gets return calls, everybody gets a returned email. I'm all caught up on my projects because I am going totally dark for 24 hours. And then what happens is the day that I come back, I'm on fire because I am really rested. rested. Oh. So so I think that's sort of the principle. And and I got to be honest with you, you know, sometimes my sabbaths because they I run a really funny schedule at times. It might be Saturday from 12 noon till Sunday at 12 noon, but it's a block of 24 hours. It's a great principle to kind of live your life. Just learn how to really pull back. And it's sort of like a rubber band. I think leaders aren't able to stretch because they don't know how to pull back.
0: I think that's great advice. Did I answer your question? You did. Some things work, some things don't. I am so honored to have such great advice from different disciplines, different minds, different experiences. And so I get to pick and choose from them.
1: You have a great privilege. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. And so do my listeners. So they get to hear wonderful advice and, you know, things that work for you. And you've gone through a lot of trial and error in this process as well.
1: I just want to encourage everybody out there is that sometimes it's more trial and error until you hit it. It, right, but you just keep working at it, just keep trying to figure out like what works for you and just never give up,
0: yeah. And sometimes it changes, right? What it does for because you back 10 years ago is different now,
1: absolutely. Because I mean, we go through different seasons of life, and there's different seasons where there's different priorities, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's where you have to be very careful of this, like me too, kind of thinking and leadership, where we see somebody that we admire and we go, Me too, me too, me too. Right. Well, they might be at a different life stage, they might have different capacity. You know, some people, you know, Lily, look at my life and they go, well, Dennis, how do you run the kind of schedule you run? I mean, you're on the road every week. Do you even have a marriage? Well, we have a fantastic marriage. But it's like my wife and I, we figured out a schedule that works for us and we make these decisions together. You know, and some people might look at my life and they go, boy, that's really out of balance. Well, it's different for everybody based on capacity, gifting, calling, you know, and stage of life.
0: That's great. So we have come to our last question. Awesome. Yay. So that's kind
1: of sad, though. You know, it's been fun. I've had fun. It has
0: been. It has been. And I have this new energy now that my Skype is working.
1: (laughs) Fantastic.
0: Yay! So if you were to go back in time, Dennis, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership?
1: Hire great people and don't try to do it all yourself. I probably have only learned this in the last like couple of years where I felt like I had to be the jack of all trades. And, mm-hmm. you know, my business is really kind of taken off when I figured out there's really only like three things that only dentists can do. And I'm just on this quest to only do those three things. That's it. Tell us That's a little it. bit about that. So for me, I've realized that I'm the only person that can speak right now. I'm the only person that can write and I'm the only person that can coach mm-hmm. my clients anything else somebody else can do for me. So I am kind of on this quest to continue to like shed things that aren't one of those three things and find people and relationships that can do that stuff for me. But in the beginning, it's like I try to do it all myself and I tried to learn everything. It's, it's sort of like, you know, I've got a friend who is telling me, well, Dennis, here's this copywriting course. You need to learn how to write great sales copy. And I'm like, heck no, I'm gonna hire you to write my sales copy. I don't want to learn that. That's not what I want, you know? And right, so right. I think there's a fallacy sometimes that we think like we've got to do everything and be degraded everything because there are some things that I'm really, really bad at and you don't want me doing. You know,
0: it does require you really looking at who you are, analyzing who you are or having other people really look into your life and speak into your life.
1: You know, focus is a big buzzword. Well, focus is all about what you say no to, not what you say yes to, because I think the secret of concentration is elimination. And so a great little tool to use every six months is Give yourself the gift of writing a stop doing list. They got a piece of paper and, you know, write These are the things that I'm going to stop doing.
0: Now, you said hire great people. How do you do yes.
1: that? I think you hire for character and you train for skill.
0: Love
1: that. It's funny. Typically, what happens is that we we hire people for what they know, but then we have to release them for who they are. And, and that so happens a lot all the time. You know, we look at these resumes and, you know, can they do it? But a better question is, is like, you know, can you get along with this motley crew that I have here at my company? And so I always want to just try to hire for character and then train for skill.
0: I'll tell you a quick story. I had interviewed at this high school. Now, my experience has been with early childhood education, but I sent in my resume. I know special ed And I said, Oh, why not? They called me in. And my thinking is, okay, they've read my resume. And I was excited to meet the people I had learned a little bit about. And I tell you, Dennis, the questions they were asking me was an exercise on how to demean people. I felt like I was in a parole hearing, they were just asking questions that were so specific to the specific job but nothing about my character. And I think and that's it, a big mistake. Yeah,
1: Hopefully you didn't take the job. That's what I'm hoping, right?
0: I, you know, I went in very naive and just wanting to connect with these people and, and know them, just like I want to connect with you. And I can't tell you how awful it was. And I even blogged about it. Is this a parole hearing or an ed leadership interview?
1: That, that tells you a lot about their culture and culture flows out of the character of the people in that organization. And uh, hey, good for you. You didn't take the job.
0: Oh, no. And I was so angry after that. I think <laughs> that steered me to where I'm at now and what I'm doing, because I saw that as such horrible way to lead people. I mean, at the very least, you value who's in front of you, even if they're not fit for the job.
1: Here's what's great. It's like that experience was never wasted. And I just want to encourage everybody that, you know, your experiences are not wasted because, you know, Lily, you went through maybe like that was a tough experience or a negative experience, but it's like you turn that negative into a positive. It's like, that's why I do what I do. So it's like I had to, you had to go through that through that interview process to sort of learn like what not to do and like what to look for. So I just want to encourage your listeners, listen, you know, you might be going through a negative time or been through a negative time or sit back and think, oh, why did I ever take that job? I just wasted two years of your life. And I just want to encourage them, nothing is wasted. You know, you, you take the mess and you make a message out of it.
0: I love that. So, Dennis, I want to thank you so much for adding value, not just to me, but to our listeners.
1: It was a pleasure and it was an honor. And uh, I want to encourage everybody to go to coachingskillschecklist.com and get that checklist for creating drama-free teams. That'll really help them.
0: Thank you so much for continuing to add value.
1: Absolutely. It was a blast. Thank you for what you do.
0: Take care, Dennis. Bye-bye. Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to masterleadership.org to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of the exceptional leaders that are featured on this podcast. Until next time. Bye.